Hey, buddy, do you want to say a few words about this show before uh, people give it a listen? Yeah, I want to encourage everybody, if they want to uh, to learn more about the uh, Albums Are Dead podcast, to go to albumsaredead.com or visit us on twitter.com slash albumsaredead, on Facebook, again, slash albumsaredead, and uh, where else? We're on Instagram, uh, and if you look for Albums Are Dead on Instagram, how about that? We'll also be there. We're also on iTunes, and uh, I think right now that's the only place we are. We're going to try to eventually get to like Google Play, Spotify, all that, but on most podcatchers, if you type in Albums Are Dead, uh, you're going to find us. Tell me, uh, do we make money doing this show? We do not make any money doing this show, and uh, all the songs that we play on the show are for preview purposes only, so make sure to go and support the artists, even if they don't need support, it's still the right thing to do. Go uh, stream their music legally or buy the tracks, because uh, we want to keep above board, folks. All right, folks, uh, with all that being said, I think we should get to our episode. What do you think? Let's do it! <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of people, they're, they're, they're watching and waiting, and... You know, I damn well better deliver. Hopefully we'll miserably disappoint everybody. Yeah, I, I think uh, we that's what the, we set out to do, really. Yeah, we want to be the first band in Canadian history to actually set out to make a terrible record that is doomed for failure. Because it's never been done, really. I know in the state of music today, it'll probably sell just dump truck loads of copies. So, it's a win-win. Really? Really for us. albums are dead Ayo. so yeah this this album didn't sell dumb loads of coffees well I, I, I you're gonna have to give us the numbers uh shortly uh, and i also wanted to say right at the top of the show uh you know uh here's here's an album yes please go out and buy it because it did not sell very much this is our lowest selling album that we will have covered so far <laughs> probably for a while too i guess we'll oh, see yeah, absolutely uh, on this this episode of Albums Are Dead, episode twenty three, I am Slip with Five Eyes or Slip. I'm at Nakedix.com. And what, what what are you thinking, buddy? What are you talking about? What are you talking about this week? Well, we're talking about uh, Matthew Goodman's uh, final album as a as a group, uh, the Audio of Being. Uh, kind of just kind of pulled it out of the old uh, tickle trunk for this week, and uh, thought you know let's give this one a whirl and see how where it takes us. And uh, you know what? I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about this week's show. I think it's going to be pretty good. And what's interesting about this one is, uh, I mean, this is truly a, an album that is pretty much Canada only. Yes. And with a kind of a limited uh, limited sales. Like, not awful, but not limited sales within Canada. It's certainly not Matthew Goodband's... It's not, it's not Matthew Goodband's... Uh, most be- like best-selling album or best-known album or anything like that, right? No, uh, this went gold in Canada. Yep. Um, uh, to date, it's gold, uh, whereas the albums preceding it went platinum and double platinum. Yeah. So uh, a fraction of the, not a fraction per se, but a definitely not um, to the same level. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't know. It just kind of struck me. I, I was listening one day and went, you know what? Um, I think this would make a good episode. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I'll to, to for me, really, it was about a couple things. I mean, anybody who's uh, 
maybe listen to our sister show, The Mezzanine Sleepover, knows myself in particular, huge Matt Goodmark. Wait. So, um, you know, and that encompasses the whole career, including the Matthew Good Band. And so that was the, that's the first thing for me. It's kind of a no brainer. Um, second, uh, I mean, this album is uh, a, it's awesome. Uh, B the band broke up days after the album was released and uh, C it's awesome. So that's my criteria for, uh, for taking a, 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 doing a good big breakdown of this album this week. So I guess I have to ask you some of the standard questions. Yes. Yes. Uh, you've, I guess you've kind of said why this album, cause you, you think it's awesome. Uh, yes. My next one. Uh, yes. Have you seen them? Oh yes, I. I mean, I've seen Matthew Goodband. I've seen Matt Good. I've seen them more than him, uh, more than anybody. And the Cajun Man and I have uh, secured tickets to the uh, March eighteenth Matt Good solo acoustic show at the Garrick here in Winnipeg. Uh, look at you exciting. going to a I concert. <laughs> We're also going to see the TV party in in the, April. So. All right, another question. Tell me yep. about your Matthew Good uh, and Matthew Good Band fandom. How, uh, how did it come about? Well, this is uh, an excellent story. So I, well, it's not an excellent story. It's, uh, it's interesting <laughs> probably to us. So uh, in 1997, uh, my girlfriend at the time went to Vancouver. And uh, in like, you know, maybe fall of 97, I'm thinking. And came back and was like, you got to hear this, this band. And I was like, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> I'm, I'm 20 and I think I know everything. Uh-huh. And who's going to tell me about, you know, other than you, about uh, a cool band. And, uh, but I'll tell you, she was right. And uh, I remember uh, her, I remember getting Raygun EP uh, and getting into that. And then Underdogs. I guess she gave it to me for Christmas. And of course, for any Matt, Matthew Good uh, band completists out there, it was not just Underdogs, but it was one of the 5,000 copies of Underdogs that had uh, lo-fi B-sides with it, Oof. which was tremendously exciting. And so um, that kind of kicked it off for me. I kind of uh, uh, got, got, real, got real deep and down and dirty with uh, Matt, Matthew Good band for quite a few years. And, uh, of course, my fandom continued as he went solo and essentially continued writing all the songs and uh, just playing with, with different dudes for the most part. And uh, I remember back in, in about 1998 when I was working at Domo one night uh, at the gas station overnight. And uh, I remember, I believe it might have been Power 97 where they ran a contest and I all called in and won tickets oh, nice. to see the Matthew Good Band at, this, at the then Spectrum. Now the pyramid and uh, went and there were like a dozen people there, but it was the greatest show I'd ever seen to that point. It was so good standing right there in front and just enjoying it. And, and uh, it was, it was fucking amazing. So, you know, and then from there, I mean, it, I mean, I've, I've been just a, uh, I guess you could say a super fan of uh, Matt Good and, and, and the Matthew Good band. And uh, yeah. So like I said, off the top, I'm a huge Mark. Now here's my question. Yes. Uh, right back at you. Have you have you seen him slash them? I have uh, him and them. I have seen on as as with you numerous occasions that I've seen them. Oh yes. Uh, I'm trying to You've think. Seen them together. The first place that I saw them would have been during the beautiful midnight tour 
with me at La Rendezvous. No, I actually saw them no? before that. They opened for somebody at a show at the convention center. Ah, I then, And then I saw them at the Rendezvous with when you. When I had that photographer pass. Yeah, and yes. Take any photos. And uh, I'm trying to think of where else I've seen them. I've seen them in... I saw them at a festival. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was, maybe it was, wasn't Edgefest, was it? They played Probably. one at Edgefest, Edgefest 99. 99. Yeah, so I would have seen them at Edgefest 99. Oh, yeah. I saw, I guess they did. I saw Matthew Good play solo at the Capitol Music Hall in Ottawa. Uh, I saw him play a show here in Toronto last year when he did the Beautiful Midnight 20th Anniversary Tour. And I'm sure there was a couple of other occasions in there. I mean, one of my favorites to see live. Uh, I forget where I ranked Matt Good in my top 25, but it was in the top five. Like, you're bigger. I, five, you're, yeah. you're definitely a bigger fan, but I am a huge fan. I think the difference between yes. you and me is that you are still really into stuff that he's releasing, right? I would say that I'd still enjoy it. I'm not like hard, like think it's the greatest, you know, the greatest ever. But he's still writing some good stuff. Yeah, and I, it's not that I'm not, like I don't that I dislike it. I'm just not really like giving it the same attention that I did. No, but, you know, I would say the last yeah. album that I really took in deeply was uh vancouver yes and uh yeah and so i have this some of the stuff from after vancouver it's just i'm not as uh as deep into it's it not but, a heavy rotation yeah but i mean the matthew good band albums are still like cover to cover on heavy rotation and when this album came out for me i was uh in the middle of of one of the worst years of my life in edmonton yes that's right and uh this album was like a ray of hope a ray of a ray of sunshine in a in a dark year. Well, listen, like a month and a half after uh, Never Again. Oh yes, that is correct. So, so you know, we needed we the world needed a tear you away from your Nickelback. Oh. So uh, yeah, that's the the story there. So uh, do we uh, do we want to talk about this album? You know, yeah, the audio of being. All right. Yeah. So the audio of being the fourth and final studio album from the Matthew Good Band, uh, released on October thirtieth. 2001, just before Halloween, uh, on uh, Universal Records, a uh, vinyl version was released on April 6, 2018. Do you have that? I that is one I do not have yet. I do have uh, Beautiful Midnight, Underdogs. Uh, I've got something else, but I'm missing Avalanche, Avalanche? and Audio Being. Missing Avalanche. Oh my gosh. Well, Avalanche. Oh my gosh. Avalanche yeah, was yeah. only released on vinyl, like re-released on vinyl in the last year. Um, before that, there was actually a vinyl version, but it was, you know, extremely rare and hundreds of dollars. Yes. So So, nothing yet. So it's it's on your wish list. Yes. Um, the audio of being, uh, we got it. 12 tracks, nice tight 12 tracks, runtime, 63 minutes and 24 seconds. Um, the album was produced, uh, by Warren, uh, Livesey who had uh, previously worked with the band on underdogs, uh, their, uh, their second album and beautiful midnight, their third album, uh, he would go on to produce most of Matt Good's solo work as well. Um, as I said earlier, this album was certified gold in Canada. It was certified gold in 2003. Uh, and at that point, it sold uh, 73,000 copies. Uh, at the time of certification, it remains a gold seller to this day. So it hasn't moved the needle much in the last uh, in the last 15 years or 16 years. 
Uh, and like I said, this is easily the lowest selling album we have ever covered on this podcast. Yes. And we have covered and we have covered things like uh, the Pixies and uh, and others. But uh, this one is the lowest, but uh, not at all the worst. So um, that's the tale of the tape, big man. OK, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about Well, we'll break this down. I, I, I found some I went into this kind of not knowing what I'd find mm-hmm. um, because, of course, there's it's. A, it's a Canadian album, so that's first of all. B, it didn't sell a whole lot. Um, it was certainly from a, a, a fairly major Canadian artist, but, you know, it just, if you go back and try and find stuff about this album, I thought, you know, this is going to be a little bit tough, uh, kind of like fourth grade in uh, Billy Madison. Yes. But, uh, <laughs> but you know what? Surprisingly, I found some stuff, and I, I, got, a few, uh, I got a few articles to, uh, to add to the docket, which will be fun. And uh, but I'm going to start with a little bit of history, straight from the Wiki, if if you will. Oh, the Wiki. Uh, a little, little Matthew Goodbad history, and uh, yeah, straight from the Wiki. Here we go. Uh, so after beginning his music career as a folk musician, Matthew Good uh, formed a three-piece rock band in 1995, comprised of himself, uh, drummer Ian Brown, and bassist Jeff Lloyd. Uh, Dave Genn originally only recorded with the band as a paid session musician. So on uh, on Last of the Ghetto Astronauts, their debut album. Dave Genn, the guitarist on the three Matthew Goodband albums uh, that he played on. The first album, he was just doing uh, organ and keyboards. Um, though I believe he appeared in the videos playing guitar. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. Um, the four then recorded the, the four recorded the band's debut, Last of the Ghetto Astronauts, as I mentioned. The band released that album independently in 1995, after which Genn officially joined the band as a guitarist. Uh, the band was not, this is a fun fact. Uh, that I didn't really think of until uh, I, I, I must have heard this back in the day, but I didn't remember this. The band was not originally called Matthew Good Band. Uh, the first 5,000 copies of Last of the Ghetto Astronauts with the, 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 is credited to just MGB. Ooh. So the cover just has an MGB on it, and, um, and the cover is slightly different. Uh, after their album was released, the single Alabama Motel Room began to receive significant radio airplay, and people began requesting the song on the radio and the album at retail stores, and they were calling the band Matthew Good Band. And so uh, at the time, the band had been having conversations about the name, and then they just decided, well, we'll just call it Matthew Good Band, which I'm sure um, was just the easy way out because everybody was just calling them that. Um, although initially popular only in the Vancouver area, the band received more exposure across Canada in '96 with the singles, as I mentioned, Alabama Motel Room and Symbolistic White Walls becoming, you know, uh, the Wicca says significant hits no. on the radio and the music videos. Come on. Music. I'm going to say minor hits. Yeah. I would say they were minor hits. Um, like Apparitions is a, is a major hit in Canada. Yes. I would, <laughs> or there Everything you go. is Automatic or, you know, like... Hello Time Bomb. Uh, Hello Time Bomb. Uh, you know, whatever, but not, not these two. Absolutely um, not. No. Uh, in December '96, they signed a two-album deal with a uh, with with a, a label called Private Music. Uh, in mid-January '97, on the first day of pre-production for their next album, which would be Underdogs, the group was not notified that BMG Entertainment North America was merging Private Music into Wyndham Hill slash High Street Records, putting a halt to the production of the album. Uh, in mid-March of that year, after negotiations, blah blah blah, they were they were released from their contract. Uh, Matt Good Good was paid what he was owed for the two albums, and the group then decided to record the new album regardless of label support, using the money received from the uh, 
divorce of their contract with the uh, label to fund it. So they actually had a record deal. Uh, they got paid out for two albums just for not doing anything, and then were able to record um, Underdogs and I assume uh, Raygun as well at the same time because they were recording them pretty close together. Uh, the group then agreed to release the upcoming album under a distribution agreement with Polygram Group Canada. Uh, they released uh, the, the Raygun EP in May 97, and then later that year released their second full-length album, Underdogs. As mentioned before, it was uh, produced by Warren Livesey, who would go on to produce blah, 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 all their all their albums and uh, Matt Good's subsequent solo albums. Uh, Underdogs, a big hit. Like I said, Platinum in Canada, Spawn the Singles, Everything is Automatic, Indestructible, Apparitions, and Rico, all of which were hits. Well, not Rico. Oh, Rico is a... Well, did have a music video, so your ears would perk up. Yeah, but uh, I don't like Rico. No, no. And you know, when I loved Rico then, not so much anymore. Um, in 1998, the band toured across Canada with Edgefest. In November 98, Jeff Lloyd left the band, and the bassist Jeff Lloyd left the band, was replaced by Rich Prisky, also known as Rich Rock. <laughs> um, on January 21st, 1999, Underdogs was certified platinum in Canada. So uh, coming around in, in September 99, the band released Beautiful Midnight. The album debuted at number one on the Canadian albums charts and featured hit singles, Hello Time Bomb, Load Me Up, and Strange Days. The album earned them two Juno Awards in 2000 for Best Group and Best Rock Album, which I didn't even know. So you can tell how dialed in I am to the Junos. I know, right? Yeah, they won. Matt Good uh, Good himself boycotted the Juno Awards. Uh, the rest of the band did show up to collect their, um, to collect their statues and pose, um, which I'm sure, and I'm actually, I'm pretty sure, actually, I pretty much know, based on comments, that Matt Good was... Very upset at that. Uh, so I have a question for you about Beautiful Midnight. Yes. Uh, did you ever have the U.S. version? I did not. Uh, um, I, and I did. You did. Which See, makes me... Completest, I kind of wish I did. It makes me a bigger fan. Woo! Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Hey, That'd I'll be, have to... Uh, it's, it's, it's somewhere sitting in a, in a plastic bin in my dad's basement. So if I ever dig it out, it's yours. <laughs> Hey, thanks, buddy. All right. Um, that, of course, there the U.S. version has a few extra tracks from Underdogs and then censored uh, titles on the on the back. Yes. Because Americans couldn't handle a song called "Boy with a Machine Gun." <laughs> that is correct. Um. So yeah, the uh, Beautiful Midnight became the band's best-selling album, being certified double platinum in Canada, selling over three hundred thousand copies by two thousand sixteen, which in Canada is a pretty big deal. Yes. So, so that's Beautiful Midnight. Uh, let's move now to uh, to uh, the audio of being. Uh, in 2000, the uh, band began working on their next album. <clears throat> the album's creation came during a difficult period for Matt Good. While he struggled to deal with the band's success, he was diagnosed with sarcoidosis, uh, sarcoidosis, prompting him to temporary quit, temporarily quit smoking. Uh, following throat surgery to, move, to remove a nodule from a vocal cord, Good stayed in a hotel for three weeks in Whistler to work on songs for the new album. Uh, Good wrote most of the album while unable, unable to speak or sing. He later wrote that he spent much of his time trying to keep down food supplement bars, trying to forget the growing tension within the band, the high expectations of needing to produce hit songs, throwing up and trying to find some semblance of direction in my personal life. Uh, the band entered the studio in late 2000 to record the material for the new album. And uh, here's a little clip I dug up of uh, Matt talking about the creative process point you said uh, you hope you never get comfortable with the creative process. Yeah, absolutely. I think if it remains static, it doesn't go anywhere. It has no room to evolve or change, right? I mean, I don't think that 
I don't think that creativity necessarily is something that grows. I don't think you learn to do it better instinctively. I mean, obviously through the mechanics of it you do, yes. But instinctively you don't learn to do it on greater levels, but just on different planes, right? I mean, when I did Beautiful Midnight, I sat down and consciously wrote a record about my past. This record, you know, is, you know, I, I had a year and a half worth of stress attacks and throwing up for eight hours, then going playing shows and passing out and hitting my head on the floor and, and that kind of thing. Just a lot of stress-related issues that weren't very fun. And uh, I had the germs of a whole bunch of the songs, and I hold myself up in a, in a hotel room in Whistler for three weeks, and it basically all came out of me. So uh, there you go, a little bit uh, from, from the man himself. So just like you said, basically. Exactly. And you know what? The funny thing was I found the clip, and then later on I found the right. I found some quotes, and they were the same quotes. Good so, job. You're welcome. Um, so, yeah, my favorite part of these clips, they're from a Much Music bio uh, on the band, is Carmelina playing in the background so intrusively. It makes me so mad. <laughs> um so, in February 2001, the band began a brief tour of the United States to promote the American release of Beautiful Midnight. In June 2001, the band released the EP Loser Anthems, uh, another kind of uh, run of 5,000 copies of an EP. Um, and uh, they followed that up with what would be the band's final tour in the summer. As a side note, uh, Kid Tetris and I saw them play uh, at the Forks on Canada Day 2001. Nice. Last time I saw the band play together. For free. For free, yes. Nice. A good show. Um, the sessions for the new album saw a great deal of intra-band turmoil. Here's uh, here's Matt talking about the recording of the album and talking about Dave Genn leaving during the recording, leaving the band. We weren't really scheduled to start making a record, but I had talked with several friends, and they were just like, you know what, just for your sanity, you better just go in and make this record. Which, of course, ended up setting off a massive chain, a whole bunch of a chain of or a chain of events that uh, led to our actual demise for a little while there. We broke up for a little while, I guess. And, uh, you know, which of course was popularized with Dave leaving the band, which of course was one of the big things about it and that kind of thing. But it kind of all came to a head one night, I guess, during the whole, the whole Dave thing and, 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 and that. I mean, we were on again, off again, hourly as a group. We had a bit of a sit down. I talked to Dave for a long time and it was kind of not just it wasn't a me and Dave situation. It was an everybody situation with everybody, right? And that, that's just like being in a family. It's bound to happen. But uh, that kind of brought it, you know, to a head with me. It's just kind of like, you know, you get so far with something and everyone becomes so unbelievably egotistical about it that you can't get your own head out of your ass long enough to realize you got something good. You know, and there's a reason why tension helps us create certain things. And it was kind of just, you know, the inevitable conclusion of events that had been set in motion prior. So this this interview obviously takes place between August 2001 when Dave Genn, during the recording, quit the band uh -huh. towards the end of the recording of the album and the album coming out, which then they broke up right after. <laughs> yep, just like any family. Exactly, just like any family. So you, you see kind of the, the, you can hear just the, you know, you say one thing on, on, on the interview, but it doesn't really, it doesn't really uh, reflect what's really going on. Um, as stated off the top, by October 30th, 2001, the album, uh, the audio of being is released. And, um, I found a, um, I was looking through the internet archive, the Wayback machine. And, uh, because the, if there was a, if there was a web, if there was a band that had an awesome website, it was the Matthew Good band back in the day. It'd have lots of stuff and lots of, you know, and we'll get to some of the promotion that they did for the album. Uh, some of the little things they did, but also had Matt Good's manifestos that he wrote that ended up being, 
turned into two different books. Mm-hmm. Uh, just all sorts of stream of consciousness uh, stories and and answering people's questions and just being a general, uh, you know, doing things, strange things, acting like a dick. Uh, it's it's quite a thing. So I did find though, um, and a lot of his manifestos obviously are in his, in his book. At last, there's nothing left to say uh, that he released. Uh, I believe in 2001 as well. But um, prior to this album being released uh, on the website in. Uh, I found a version of the website from early 2002 that had a write-up about the album, uh, and I think I'm going to add this to the docket because it's 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 a it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting little uh, piece about the album from the band themselves. So, here we go. <clears throat> the three and a half weeks in a Whistler BC hotel room in August, as appealing as that may sound to most people, was the culmination of a rough year for Matt Good. It began in early 2000 with throat surgery to remove a node from his right vocal cord. He admits that after seven or eight years of damn the consequences living and a two pack a day cigarette habit he probably shouldn't have been surprised but the fact that he had to quit singing for a stretch and visit a speech pathologist rattled his cage during that silent stretch he began writing the songs for the new album the first being Tripoli Uh, after I'd come home from the operation I couldn't talk he remembers so I wrote the lyrics but then I wrote the vocal melody in my head and I would just sing it in my head and after I regained my speaking voice I was allowed to sing it was the first thing that I sang the good news was that he had kicked the butts and discovered a stronger, more resilient strength singing voice. The bad news was that the stress-induced anxiety was still r- running under his daily life like a walking baseline. Jesus, this uh, is right up. Well. Uh, he had broken up with a woman he had lived with for eight years, had given her everything, and was living in literally a 400-square-foot bachelor apartment. It was fucking tiny. So, by the way, <laughs> this is a theme. <laughs> Matt Good's career Yes, is, is the... Uh, the woman who ruins his life. Yes. So, uh, well, we won't touch on it very much on this episode. I'm sure somewhere down the line we'll be touching on it at another point. On a uh, on a side note, totally off off topic of Matt Good, just finished reading the Phil Collins autobiography. Oh yes. Go back and listen to our No Jacket Required episode, by the way. Yes. Uh, and <laughs> so angsty over women, so much. Like ridiculous. Oh, I know, right? right? Ridiculous. Like and it's we, never we, it's never these guys' fault. Oh, well, I mean, he kind of he he's kind of like I'm so sad that this happened, but I was touring all the time. Oh my gosh! Yeah, just, and Matt Good, it's never his fault. No, of course not. He's got a whole album. Not not and listen, I'm not going to get into hospital music here because obviously it's it's many different layers. But there's, I mean, there's specific songs where you're like, man, dude, that's harsh. Yes. Um, anyway, uh, he says he would come home after the hectic pace of the tour. The world would slowly stop spinning and he'd find himself sitting on a bed in a nearly empty room saying to himself, what now? Uh, he decided to take his guitar, his golf clubs and head to Whistler because <laughs> it was close and it was familiar. But having experienced anxiety on and off all his life, Matt wasn't too surprised when it struck again. The interesting psychological thing about it, he says, was it pissed me off more than anything. I remember sitting there for like five hours, my head over a toilet, going from that from that to throwing myself into the bathtub with the shower on, feeling like I was going to die, and thinking this is fucking ridiculous. Why are you doing this? And then some days I would be good, it would be good I would be good I'd start eating again I'd go out golfing and I think okay everything's going to be okay we're going to relax today and that kind of thing and during it all of that I also wrote a record. But at the time when Whistler the, the Whistler stint was over, Matt walked away thinking it had been all an exercise in futility. He thought he had produced nothing, that it was all crap. Still, something told him that he had to start recording right away, even though there had been no plans to record, and he hadn't talked to the rest of the band about it. I kind of showed the band this record in two weeks, and after that we made it, he said. It was October of 2000, 
so like a year a year uh, before the release, and the Matthew Good Band was doing something it never done before. Before we had always gone in and demoed everything once or twice, and then gone to the studio. This was just boom. And the interesting thing about it, I guess, of my state of mind, no one from the record label offered me any objection. They were like, "If you want to go, go. We'll pay for it. Fine, go." I'll have to give it to them for backing me on this because they did. That, by the way, the tune on record label will change quite a bit by the time we ever get to Avalanche. Of course. Because, <laughs> my God. Yep. <laughs> what a difference a year and a half will make. Um, what the band put together by December were 10 songs that had been percolating in Matt's head for the better part of that millennium year. Then, just to make sure things weren't getting too settled, uh, Matthew Goodben went on a tour of America for a few months. And somewhere in there, he wrote, Matt wrote and recorded three new songs that were released on the sixth song EP, Luther Anthems. Um, blah, blah, blah. We'll go through here. Uh, uh, I recorded the, these three in one day, he said, uh, threw them on this compilation and then went and finished writing the rest of the audio being. By that, he meant writing Truffle Pigs and Antipop, two songs that actually do sound different from the rest of the album. So, by the way, we just mentioned Antipop was written. Um, uh, writing Truffle Pigs and Antipop. Uh, kind of not really at the last minute, but you know, maybe a little bit after, but that will contradict what he does, what he says about Antipop after the album gets released. Okay, then. So here in this official kind of biography of Matt Good's year leading up to this, Antipop's not quite the throwaway that he'll make it up to be. It's more of like he recorded it after he recorded the other 10 songs. Um, that'll be important, but make no mistake, it's uh, Audio Beam wasn't any toss-off. And Matt Good's decision to make Carmelina and not the more accessible Antipop the first single is hard evidence of that. And then he talks a little bit about uh, uh, the crap on the radio today. You know, the usual stuff from <laughs> alternative rockers Ma in 2001. Matthew Good complaining about other things on the radio? <laughs> Crazy. Um, so then it asks, so is this Matthew Good's line in the sand? Kind of, yeah. I'll never make another record like Beautiful Minute or Underdogs. I don't think that I'll... Uh, that I'll ever look at rock and roll as typically as I had on anything I've done up to now or ever again in my life. I think you can only make three big rock records before you start to repeat yourself and get boring. You know what? We should say at this point, because again, a lot of people yep. who might listen to this show may not be from Canada. Cause you know, I'm sure we have worldwide audience, right? Yes, but, we do. But let's let, like we should, we should make it pretty clear. Like Matthew good, um, for whatever reasons, you know, and, and yeah. obviously dealing with uh, mental health issues uh, throughout yes. his life, yeah. but is is kind of like an ornery guy. Like, oh, yeah, Absolutely. like he's he's clearly not easy to get along with, though. You, no. you, you see him live and like he's funny and he's charming and yeah. um, like in some ways you think he would be awesome to hang out with. But, oh God, I would be so terrified. But is prone to these th this moodiness, yeah. right? Especially back in 2001. Yes. That would be the, the big thing. I mean, this is kind of like the pivotal point, right, um, in, in, in a career, right, where you come, you're, you're coming off two hits in Canada. Yeah. And they're substantial hits. And uh, you're not getting along with your, with your band. And you're dealing with a lot of different issues. Uh, Matt Good was, um, I don't know when he was diagnosed with bipolar, and he's very open about it. And he seems to have in, in, in later, you know, as he's kind of uh, worked through that and getting that under control in his life um, is, you know, has certainly the outlook has changed if you, if you listen to interviews now. But back then it was like you never knew what you were going to get. 
Uh, anyway, also, sorry, one more thing to mention is that uh, when they released Beautiful Midnight in the States, like this is their run at the U.S. market and it doesn't it flops. Oh, God, yeah. it, it doesn't go anywhere. And at the same time, uh, around the same time, of course, uh, Nickelback explodes. And that is a very contentious point with 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 Matthew Good. Oh, absolutely. Right. Because um, uh, and, and he'll you know, there's interviews from that time period uh, ripping uh Nickelback and you know even Our Lady Peace people he's friends with now, um, but yeah there was definitely that uh, at play. I mean the other thing too about Audio of Being it never had a chance. They never toured to support it. They had two two kind of two singles uh, that probably once the band broke up they never really got anything put behind it. Back in a time when you could still put some muscle behind something to to have it move units so. This is this is really kind of this album kind of suffers from a lot of things. Um, the write up goes on. I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's getting a little long in the tooth. Um, let's get to the release. So they finish the album. It comes out as we said, October 30th, 2001. There were three different packages of this album. Do you remember that? Uh, I remember. I think two of them. There's a white one, the like white background. Yep. There's a black background. Black and gray. Gray. Yes. Okay. Three different uh, covers, so that was kind of their little uh, marketing scheme. I have the black one. Uh, so did I. It's aesthetically the best one. Um, the first 50,000 copies of the album, so almost all the ones that sold. <laughs> yep. Uh, came with a... <laughs> I'm being such a prick about it, but I can't help it. Yep. I feel like I have to be like a little bit extra critical. Yeah. Because I don't want to come off as such a big like... A mark. A mark, right? Um so the first 50, because it's kind of funny. Um, so the first 50,000 copies came in a slipcase with a booklet entitled A Pleasurable Headache, question mark, which contained lyrics for all the songs released by the band, organized by album, which was pretty cool. Um, the words kept uh, in the, or dark, appeared on the spine of the jewel case, depending on the color, which if you bought all three, you could line them up to make the message kept in the dark. Uh-huh. Uh, also on the... Uh, Hubs of the disc were the uh, line, help us get rid of the Matthew Good Band, which happened very quickly. So very <laughs> prophetic. Um, before the release of the audio being on MatthewGoodBand.com, there was a section titled TrustUs.MatthewGoodBand.com, a daily distraction. And uh, every day a new subdomain was added to the MatthewGoodBand.com domain that uh, contained a page with a cryptic message that referenced a track on the album. So they were using the uh, internet <laughs> to uh to 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 keep people interested on the internet on the internet being very cryptic like Mistopheles <laughs> on BME scene at the time uh-huh <laughs> <laughs> oh jesus <laughs> uh so that's the release let's <laughs> all right <laughs> no one gets that who gives a shit it's so good. Uh well I figure if we're in 2001 mode we might as well go all the way right? Yeah. <clears throat> um let's you can't talk about the album though without talking about the breakup. Um, in November two thousand one, uh, so before before the album, of course, you heard the clips. Uh, Dave Genn has already left the band a few times. Um, they you know they got back together to to put it out uh, in November two thousand one. It was reported that uh, Dave Genn had left the band again, and uh, Ian Brown had also left the band. Uh, the drummer uh, in two thousand two, Universal Music Canada in early two thousand two confirmed that the band had broken up. Uh, Matt Good uh, went on uh, going coastal during the New Music West 2002. Here's what he had to say. Oh, here we go. 
You're in a band, um, and uh, if things go wrong with that band, things in life change. There's really nothing you can do about that, you know? There were certain aspects of the band and, and, and individuals that were, you know, at the end there, that were more interested in, in the business of, of music than, than really making it. <laughs> okay. Well. Some, not happy. Yeah. I, I, and I can't help but feel that is a direct shot of the, because there's like them at the Junos, the three of them, the, the three that aren't that good, all like so happy with their statues. <laughs> I'm sure that's part of it. Uh-huh. Um, in 2002, the Globe and Mail kind of uh, tied, a, tied, tied a, a ribbon, uh, a bow on this present of the band breaking up by saying, uh, after months of speculation and internal strife, one of Canada's most popular and controversial rock outfits has called it quits. Um, they, uh, Matt Good says, uh, it was just one of those things that ran its course, he said. Um, there's been a lot of pointing of fingers and misinformation. Uh, he says, uh, he, Matt Good went on to say he'd been vilified in the press for his outspoken criticisms of the Canadian music industry and accused, uh, accused this of igniting the split with his hot temper. So he takes a little bit of credit for, for the uh, breakup. Um, the, the article goes on to say that uh, to the delight of Canadian music journalists, always on the lookout for a glib quote or an angry rant, the quick-witted good has never failed to speak his mind on the sad state of the industry or, or whatever else irks him. Uh, more recently, he has sparked a feud, as we mentioned, with uh, fellow Vancouverites Nickelback, calling one of Canada's most successful acts a derivative bread rock band. Uh, <laughs> bread rock. Bread rock. All right. Amazing. Um, so the article continues. Rumors of the band's breakup continue to circulate when the album was released. Uh, with no tour dates planned. So people got wind of that thinking, like, why aren't they touring? Um, more morose and inaccessible than the previous two albums, the CD received mixed reviews. I love, I love, uh, it's 2002, and it's like, they're talking about albums, and they just call them CDs. That's amazing. Yeah. Back in the day, where it was just like, their CD their, came their, out. Their new CD is out. CDs are dead. That's what we should rename. CDs are dead. And then later, tapes. Tapes are dead. So uh, the last quote there that he had, it was just four guys who weren't talking very much when the record got released. That's all. You know what? That happens in everybody's life and in relationships all the time. For us, it just happened at the worst possible time. That could happen. All I have to say to the people who like our music, thank you for liking it. It was really fun. So there's kind of the long and sordid story of the making of uh, the audio of being and all the shit that came along with it. What do you say we, unless you have something to add. Oh, no. I say let, we take a look at, look at the tracks. Let's go to the tracks, shall we? All right, we got 12 tracks. Uh, all songs are written by Matt Good. Unless otherwise noted, I will let you know. Here we go. Here we go. You may want to talk on this one because we've got I'm gonna talk over quite, it, quite the intro here. So this is Man of Action. It's got a very long intro. Um, the opening track. I love this track, and I used it in the intro video for the video cassette release of Barbecue Beats X. Uh, from our Backyard Wrestling Federation. You sure yep. did. Um, at the beginning of this track is a female voice that says, you are now listening to the audio of being. So it gets you, uh, gets you uh, wrapped right into the, uh, into the album. Um, honestly, there's not a lot of information out there track by track. So I'm going to go to some familiar sources. Are you ready? Yes, please. Uh, over on songmeanings.com. I, I didn't know if this would, they would have any content from this. So I'm pleased. Every every single track nice i got i got something for every i believe for every single track maybe maybe i, I skipped one just because i had enough stuff um over on songmeetings.com user the cage says this is probably the best introduction to an album ever made okay oh here we go this wait, wait, wait. song let's give it a sec here 
Ah, oh, so good. All right. So good. Um, this song makes you want to be a man of action. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> I, it makes you want to do something. I think this song is actually about Shakespeare's Hamlet. Do you see why? And I'm thinking, no, nah, man. Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> I don't. All right. Uh, man of action. Uh, one thing I'm, I'm, I'm putting a little wrinkle in here because uh, I'm so familiar with all these songs over the course of my life. I'm going to add in my personal favorite lines. Here's mine from this song. Uh, it's a pretty uh, standard one. I got me a whorehead. I got me a day star. I lost me control of myself. And baby, I don't want it back. So, man of action. Let's give it a little listen here. I should mention on this album, what? Uh, yeah. There are seven or 12 tracks. One, two, three, four tracks clocking in at over six minutes. Like, unconventional, yes. right? For a, yep. a rock album. Here we go. Oh, yeah. It's this, uh, you know, Matt Good, uh, extremely uh, talented vocalist. Um, and um, one more thing to note, like other albums, for example, uh, and we've talked about it quite a bit in our podcasts. Be Here yeah. Now by Oasis. Yes. You know, clocking it at over 70 minutes, of which 20 minutes is easily like filler garbage. Yes. This album is very different, though. These tracks, some of these are long. Uh, yeah. You feel you don't feel like they're extending something unnecessarily by a minute or two. It's all, no. it's all good stuff. Exactly. And man of action in particular is a build, right? It's not just feedback for, for two and a half minutes. No, there's like a build with a little bit of, you know, anticipation that builds to something. So I absolutely, uh, I'm with you on that 100%. And, uh, yeah, that's a uh, man of action. All right. Track two, track two. We got Carmelina. Yes. Uh, the, that, the first single off the album released uh, in September of 2001. Um, there are no B-sides. That's the one thing about Matt, Matthew Good uh, is the <laughs> lack of B-sides. Uh-huh. Uh, but anyway, uh, no B-sides. Even though uh, he has an album I, called Lo-Fi B-sides. He does. Way. Yes, he does. No, they do. But, they, but they, the singles are... You're not finding any little treasures on these singles, yeah. to be quite honest with you. Um, uh, I'd still love to get my hands on the single because uh, it's a pretty limited run and it's got a pretty cool cover that's kind of like similar to the style of the album art. Um, there was a music video. Oh, Big are, wait a second. Are we going to talk about music videos? Yeah. Madness. There was a music video to promote the single. Uh, it was directed by Bill Morrison. Um, from uh, the website Near Fantastica's page about the video, here's a quote from Matt Good about it. Uh, oh. He said, I want to make a video encapsulating how many of us go through our daily lives. We can do crazy fucked up shit for a living. Then on our lunch break, we can go off and be completely normal, almost like living in two worlds at once. So, of course, the video is uh, these dudes are on their lunch break. And when they're off their lunch break and they're back to work, they are wearing pig masks and doing uh, uh, engaging in shenanigans. Um, over at songmeanings.com yes user kelly underscore said in 2003 I love this song it's so dirty and fun <laughs> alright um, I think this is probably the maybe the weakest song on the album it's my least favorite uh, you know fall of man is not 
I don't love it either, but I, I think it's better than this. Um, but my personal favorite line um, in this is the second half of the chorus, where it says, I've become spectacular, which is strange because I feel dumb. So uh, that's one of my, uh, that's my, that's your mega mix pick of best lyric in the song. It's a little wrinkle I'm adding this time. Hope you guys like it. Uh, let's move on to track three. Yes. Yes. Take forever. Oh, I know, right? It's all not forever at all. Oh, come on. It's like, what, it. 25 seconds? Something like that. There we there go. go. So, uh, this is Tripoli. Uh, written by Matt Good and Dave Gen. Give it a little listen here. Here we go. Uh, as, a, as a drummer, what are your uh, what are your thoughts on the drum sound of this album? I always like that. I love a, a lot of these songs that have kind of like this, you know, the kind of this feedback. Yeah. Or like one instrument kind of playing, and then the drums kick in. It's like a yes. staple of Matthew Good uh, Matthew Good band music. Absolutely. I like them. I like the drums. Yeah. I don't yeah. Have much else I, to say. I felt in some of these songs they got a, a distinct kind of sound to them. Um, uh, the song uh, Tripoli uh, over at songmeanings.com user empties theme park so you know it's a fan <laughs> says I think the meaning behind this song is that of someone who has been completely destroyed by a relationship and the only thing they can do is smile and pretend it's okay to revile is to relive that makes no sense so he's looking over the past oh get this and the baby Jesus loves company may signify it was around Christmas uh-huh. <laughs> sure. here's my favorite I, this might be my favorite uh, my favorite uh, song meanings uh, quip though from uh, user Jen 1097353 uh-huh. she says there is a place called Tripoli look it up <laughs> <laughs> nice <laughs> uh, so that's Tripoli I think it's a I, I, I think it's a tremendous song love it and because uh, we don't want to go too long, let's keep her. Let's keep her moving, buddy. Track four. Love the vinyl sound here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the crackles and pops. Would that double up if you were listening to the vinyl version? Oh, might you never know, right? Like crackles and pops on top of crackles and pops. Oh, you're getting deep now, brother. Oh, I really am. I'm getting meta. Come on. Anyway. That's some great drum sound. Drums in the background. All right. Uh, advertising on police cars. Um, over at songmeetings.com, user Kitchen Kitten Chow Main says, My guess is that this song is a reference to one of Matthew Good's and mine favorite novels, Hard Boiled Wonderland and the End of the World by. Haruki Murakami. In it, there is a scientist who discovers that all bones emit sounds, and with this discovery, is able to turn up and down the volume of all things. Okay. So that's deep. Uh, user Flambo, Flambo86. Flambo, a mouse? Says, good tune. It's about what the world is coming to. So, these can, guys are deep. Can I, can I guess your favorite lyric? I, you know what? I have a note on this, but... Please guess what it is. 
Hey, Mr. Chips. Hey, Mr. Chips. <laughs> Has to I be. have here my favorite line is also the best opening lyric ever. Hey, Mr. Chips. Um, a fun fact here. Mr. Chips is uh, from one of Matt Good's uh, written manifestos on their website. Uh, it was a one of uh, one of his stories that he wrote called Porno Safari. Nice. Mr. Chips is a character. And uh, yeah, that's... Uh, that is definitely my favorite line in that advertising on police cards. Another tremendous song. Like we're we're kicking through some good stuff here. I want I want to run this one to the to a bit of the chorus. I fucking love this song. Yes. Uh, Cajun man, our pal Cajun man, once actually found a police car with an ad on it and was like, "Oh, Matthew Good was right." <laughs> That's right. Here we go. The Cajun man. Fucking tremendous. Well, and he's got the piano in there, too. Yes. Well known for saying how much he loves to incorporate piano and wishing that he had learned piano when he was young because it's just, it's it's probably his favorite instrument to play. Um, and I was looking through uh, the uh, nearfantastica.com's The Board uh, to find information, which uh, was tough. But uh, I was, just as an aside, they had an ex- extended thread uh, where Jeff Lloyd had actually come in and commented and answered questions before he before he died uh he must have died it must be like uh six or seven years now and he was in there talking about matt good and talking about how i remember one of his comments was you know dude was pretty bad guitar player but so good at writing songs (laughs) and i thought you know you know what like he's not a bad guitar player but he's certainly not great but you know you're absolutely right (laughs) um track five here we go <laughs> the last track was slow too, buddy. <laughs> no, but it was, you know, a little heavier. It's like, take it down a notch. Just a little strip down, strip down. <laughs> yes, there you go. Come on. So this is uh, I, comma, the throwaway. Uh-huh. Uh, part of the lyrics for this uh, were posted by Matt in his two-year anniversary uh, manifesto post on the band's website. He said this about the song. The forgotten verse of some song I was working on a couple of years ago. I always liked the last couple of lines, so I never got rid of it. Uh, he posted that uh, two years before the song came out. He posted lyrics to this song and talked about them. So that was pretty cool. The way you could kind of uh, see how these songs kind of came to be if you were following it closely online throughout the years. Uh, later on, he would do that specifically with songs he was writing for, I believe, Vancouver. Where he demoed almost the whole album on his website um, as he was recording it. It was pretty cool. Um, over at songmeanings.com, uh, user SV Tristan got super serious about this. Oh, here we go. Uh huh. <clears throat> amazing song, amazing album. To me, this song seems to be about a war veteran who has not only been left physically destroyed by his vocation, his vocation, <laughs> but emotionally and mentally as well. Uh, and Matt has been known to talk a lot about the old war vets from World War II and Nam that nobody ever, re- nobody ever really saw back in the 90s, locked away in high-security areas, the ones that were totally fried from the experiences of warfare and everything that goes with it, some missing eyes and with all sorts of issues. Oh, jeez, like... <laughs> right? Matt has experienced his feelings on the human race and the government about things like this, and in short, that is what this song sort of means to me, the futility of it all. Okay. 
I love the missing eyes. Yeah, like uh, favorite... I, I like the insight is pretty good, and we got a little yeah. specific with the conditions, but sure. That that was, and you know, the vocation of being a soldier was nice touch. But no, he he brings up some good points. Uh, my favorite line in the song has to be, you know, they put a man on the moon simply to prove that we all need some place to go. So uh, that's I the throwaway. Let's move on to my favorite song on the album, right here. Oh, I can't wait yeah. to hear your favorite lyrics. Because I know what mine is. Oh, yeah, of course. It's probably the exact same one as yours. <laughs> wait till he sings you and then we'll talk. Let's let them swear. Pigs. Let's let them drop the F bomb. Don't you even All right, go. Um. Matt name drops. Uh, this is Truffle Pig. Sorry, um, probably my favorite song on the album. Uh, Matt name drops his then girlfriend and future first wife uh, at the end of the song with the line "Jen, I'll bring them to their knees." At the end, this line not included in the official lyric booklet, so he's being very cryptic. Uh-huh. Um, over on SongMeanings.com, user Battery Acid, and <laughs> uh, that's Battery Acid, uh-huh. says now gives us a. Uh, Gives us a nice, uh, an interesting little perspective here. I think a little too literal, if you ask me. A truffle pig is a certain sort of pig with an innate ability to sniff out truffle mushrooms. Truffles are only found in the woods of certain parts of Europe and are quite a delicacy. The truffle pig is being replaced by the truffle dog because once the pigs find the truffles, they eat them, which poses problems for the gourmets who are hunting the truffles. Oh, fuck. Okay. Nice oh. battery acid. Oh, here we go. There you go. <laughs> so good. That would be my favorite line. Whatever grounds the triple pigs, that drive you to eat shit. Tremendous. Ah, uh, it's a great song. What are your thoughts on truffle? Pigs? It's a fucking great song, isn't it? So uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. No. Uh, that's 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 what I think. It's one of, like, if there are, how many? Let me Top count. Ten. One, one, two, three, four. I'd say there are four songs on this that are like all-time Matthew Good Band uh, tracks for me, and this is one of them. Absolutely. I'm with you 100%. All right. Let's go to track seven. Getting a little dark here. Oh, yeah. Big um, The Fall of Man. Speaking yes. Of dog, how about that title? Yes. Uh, written by Matt Good, Dave Genn, Rich Krisky, and Ian Brown. So the whole band got in on this one. Um, over on songmeanings.com, user b.and.o.railroad. You know Railroad, baby, uh-huh. says, I was always a little scared of this song. The whole thing at the end where he says, what you don't know won't kill you. I thought he was saying, want to kill you. So I was a little freaked out. And yeah, I think this song is supposed to be a little scary and terrifying. It's reflecting how everything's falling apart and that we should be scared. I don't know. <laughs> it's a pretty scary. <laughs> um, Follow Man, not my favorite song on the album. Uh, my favorite line, though, I look in your eyes, you look for some teeth, like nickels at night left under the sheets. <laughs> oh, sinister. All right. Very sinister song. Nothing wrong with it. Listen, stacking it up to other songs, it's perfectly acceptable. 
Like we're not talking like filler garbage. It's just it's just a song. It's just there. Um, but now we've now we now we pick it up a little. Track eight. So we got Under the Influence, which uh, the opening does not do it justice. So we'll, when we get to the chorus, we'll hit it back in. Yeah. Uh, written by the full band uh, on songmeetings.com. User Jet Sam says, this song reminds me of the TV series Lost. The lyrics of the song match up almost perfectly. And the general theme of wanting to be under the influence again is a lot of the Islanders wanting to be back in their messed up lives away from the island. No. Like real life. I thought you'd love that one. I listened to the song and I think, dude. Well, you know what I think? I, I see that comment and I think, you can't. You can't. <laughs> Jesus. No, you can't. <laughs> so, here we go. Here we go. So there we go. Oh. My favorite line of the song, if I roast marshmallows over their bodies, do you think God will still find their souls? Um, listen, uh, if anything, Matt, you can write a fucking lyric. I'll tell you what. Um, I got to say, uh, at this point, when I hear some of this song and I think back, I think about Matt, Matthew Good's solo uh, output and it's all, you know, like there's some serious gold. But there's this, you know, sometimes I, I, I wish for some of that, some of that uh, swanky Dave Gen guitar. I got to be I got to be honest with you. Good call. Good call. Just sometimes you just need, you just need a little bit of that. Let's go to track nine. Driving at night. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, the rat who would be king over at songmeetings.com. User Kate says, I don't give a fuck what the lyrics of this song mean. It just might be the saddest song I've ever fucking heard. It's amazing. <laughs> and you know what? I got to say, well done with the comment. Uh-huh. That's how you get it done. I don't I don't give a fuck what's going on in the lyrics. All I care about <laughs> what's going on down here. <laughs> I uh, love this song. Uh, the Radu would be king. My favorite line. Crawl from the sea. Wait for some thumbs. A greatness to breed. Build the Mall of America, which is tremendous. I, uh, may, I may be on the opposite end. I think it's a great title, but the song does nothing for me. Really? Yeah. Okay. Wait, well, hey, listen. Great minds sometimes don't think alike. Hey, we, we can't disagree. This podcast is over. <laughs> Let's have a little listen. I do like the chorus, though. Yeah, it is very, it is quite, I uh, like it. I, it's just me. I'm, I'm not going to defend to you. Fuck you, buddy. Uh, but things are going to pick up for me right away. Oh, shit. Let's play track 10. That's so fucking good. So this is anti-pop, anti-dash-pop, sorry. Um, the second and final single, The Wickeye says the single was released in February 2002. Uh, that's not true. It was released in uh, late 2001. Um, again, there was no B-side to this. Uh, you get the C- the single, you get just the song. Um, from the uh, audio being liner notes, 
the youthful exuberance on uh, on this track is credited to various students from Centennial High School. Yes, that there is a, there is the uh, the choir singing in this one. Yeah, it's yeah, great. a little bit of that going on. Uh, there there was I did not get song meanings because I had plenty of information here. Um, there was a music video. Yes, directed by Chris Nelson and uh, featured Matt Good and Dale Earnhardt Jr. Uh, the famous uh, NASCAR driver t- taking a sassy-looking lawn gnome to various locations and engaging in chicanery. All right. And uh, the garden gnome, I believe, given to Matt Good on Much Music by Rachel Perry the year before, or two years before, or perhaps three years before. I'm not sure. Um, according to Song Facts, I'm going to go to Song Facts this time. Yes. Because there's actually a Song Fact. Uh, song Facts says this, and this is not sourced or credited to anything Someone just wrote this, and I remember hearing this. This song is about Sugar Jones, a Canadian pop band formed on a TV show that dissolved after two singles. Nice. Here we go. So earlier, I had mentioned that Matt Good, uh, in the official write-up on the website about the album, that they had written this around the same time as Truffle Pigs. Um, Matt Good had this to say about the song afterwards. There is an interesting story behind this song, actually. The record company, I had already delivered that entire record to the record company. They used this whole back-channeling system because the Matthew Good Band was a very political band. We actually weren't all friends to begin with. It was a super political situation. Everyone was always trying to basically fuck everyone else over at the exact same time, and I would just puke all day. <laughs> and my record company called my management, who called Dave Gen, who said, oh, you have to write a hit song for the record. So I tried to write the worst song I could possibly come up with. And then, you know, in true fucking major record company fashion, they put it on the record. That's how stupid record companies are. And you know what? It's a great fucking song. I don't give a a shit. It should have been the opening. It should have been the lead single. It should have been. It's so good. Let's do you have a little taste, buddy? My favorite line in the song, got a life from life on TV, two eyes that stay in my skull long enough to start to believe. So, um, uh, yeah, well, prob- one of the best songs in the album. Uh, I remember probably putting this right at the top of, uh, close to the top of my favorite songs of that year. Uh, it might have been in the top three, I believe. And uh, yeah, love it. Love it, love it. Tremendous song. All right, here we go. Next track. Track 11. So uh, here we have uh, the workers sing a song of mass production uh, on songmeanings.com. User The Rapture had this to say. <laughs> Prostitution, maybe? Um, <laughs> That's the comment. Okay. Um, I love this song. Um, I think it's fantastic. Uh, it's got, the, it's got one, of the, just a, one of those whiz-bang fucking choruses. It's tremendous. My favorite line in the song... I was made by the Taiwanese in Taiwan, but they don't like that much because it's called Formosa. And uh, that's the song. Uh, let's keep it rolling with the final track of the album, shall we? Yes. Yes. 
Yes. So good. It's that drum set. I can't remember uh, using the toms. It's great. Yeah, yeah. Sort of a protest song. Uh, over on songmeetings.com, user Brosive. <laughs> you can imagine what this comment's going to talk uh-huh. about. says, I think it's about a relationship with a girl and being tired of being on edge and the whole on-again, off-again Ross and Rachel relationship shit. <laughs> the feeling of always being close to the end of a relationship and having to coax her back again and again. It's all very exhausting. Thanks, Brosive. Thanks, Brosif. Uh Love it. Perfect capper to the album. Uh, just a nice way to end it. My favorite line, a robot heart for a robot boy who dreamt he was a lion. Our lives in these empty spaces aside. Um, give it a listen. It's a highly underrated Matthew Goodband track. And uh, just a nice way to end this album. What do you think, buddy? Here, have a listen. I love later on when they're doing the chorus, the guitar in the chorus. So good. Yes. So good. Uh, great uh, song. Great ending. Fucking great album. Uh, I always say you need a good closer. This is fucking great. Great closer. Uh, you know, a nice tight 12 tracks, even though some of them are a bit long and it's an hour long. Listen, it's uh, it's an easy listen. Uh, we'll we'll get to our final thoughts in a bit. Let's see what some other people thought about this. Do it. Um, the reviews, uh, you know, pretty hard to find. That 2001 is a real sweet spot for like trying to like not being able to find things. Uh-huh. It's it's really strange. It almost feels like you know, um, uh, like a real dearth of information about specifically Canadian albums and this one in particular. But uh, Chart Magazine, who is terrible, mm-hmm. uh, gave the album four and a half out of five back in 2001. They said nothing of consequences because that magazine sucks. Here's an excerpt. Here's what this person actually wrote about this album giving it four and a half out of five stars, okay? Mm-hmm. Tonight is no ordinary night. I came home with a migraine at 6 p.m. and passed out with a copy of Matthew Goodband's The Audio of Being clutched in my hand. I woke up in a violent storm around 8 and threw up twice. When I finished, I pressed play. I collapsed on my bed while the fall of man came on, my head pouring and my blood pounding. I relived the feeling of being the smallest kid on the playground, holding onto the tallest monkey bar, and feeling that last hand losing its grip. I was falling into that void forever and the anxiety attacks and the uncertainty which fills this album. And it goes on and it's really annoying. <laughs> Fucking garbage. Uh, in 2006, SputnikMusic.com gave this a four and a half out of five as well in a horribly written review that I won't even try and read. Okay. Because it's so bad. Um, All Music has this rated three out of five. Uh, here's what All Music had to say. The band delivers a respectable batch of songs on audio being although the hooks are not as memorable as someone might expect from the above comparison. The problem is that even though they have managed to find an effective form of delivering their music, the music still hasn't quite caught up to their ambitions. Um, there, there is no Pitchfork review, my friend. Oh, it's so unfortunate. There, there is no Robert Criscow. Oh. So I can't, I can't dip into my usual bag of, of, of tricks, but I can dip into yours. Oh. Let's see what they said over on Amazon. Yes. Uh, there are actually 44 customer reviews for this uh, album on Amazon. And uh, so let's check a few out. Most reviews are complimentary and positive, And there are a lot of four and star, five star ratings. Let's uh, let's take a couple of uh, let's take a peek at a couple of them. On November 27, 2001, user Drew Drafo gave it four stars saying relative to an MGB album. This is a pretty good record. 
compared to the rest of rock music today. It's a fantastic record, although I don't find it as, as satisfying as Beautiful Midnight. There are some great songs here. And please stop with the Radiohead comparisons. They don't sound like Radiohead. And I'm thinking, who the fuck said they ever sounded like Radiohead? <laughs> it's like, who would say that? Ooh. <laughs> uh, okay. The next day, the next day uh, on the 28th of November, 2001, a now deleted profile gave it five stars saying, I have been a fan of Matt Good since Matthew Good since they first came out. I hate the fact that the band didn't get respect they deserved down in the States. I am so mad that bands like Our Lady Peace, Nickelback, Bare Naked Ladies, Sum 41, and Default can all make it big, and this band can't. And they go on to rant about other bands. So, <laughs> hey, a, a probably at the time, a Matt Good uh, 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 favored uh, review. So I go. like the idea where it's just like, okay, so here's my review. Fuck Nickelback, fuck Bare Naked Ladies, fuck Our Lady Peace, fuck Sum 41. Uh, oh, and this album, five stars. <laughs> yes. Uh, I, there was a few other reviews. I'm not going to get into them. But in 2014, user N.A. Bork gave it five stars and said, good. <laughs> that, that's his five-star review. One word, good. Hey. That's all he wrote. Nice. Uh, I cannot talk about a tour. There was no tour for this album. Sorry, folks. Um, final thoughts. Uh, I, have, I, I, I want you to one more comment just because this and may... And I have another clip, so don't play any music. Okay, again. this may lead into... Uh, a future podcast, but what happened after this album? After this album, uh, in uh, so what? So as we said, the band breaks up, and uh, within what a year, Matt Good's back back at it uh, with his solo career and releases one of the greatest albums of all time. Yes, Avalon. and will I'm sure that that will come up at a later date. All right. Oh, I cannot wait to talk about that one too. Um, you uh, obviously. Uh, We've got a thumbs up from you on this album, uh, from me as well. Uh, here, just a, one little clip before we do our closing comments. Here's Matt in 2001 on uh, on uh, Strombo, talking about the band and reuniting with uh, drummer Ian Brown for his solo tour in support of his uh, then-just-released album, uh, The Lights of Endangered Species. Oh, Let's hear what he has to say. Just to clarify, 2011. 2011, sorry. Man, compared, I mean, it's interesting. You know, Ian Brown's playing drums on this tour, and he played the Matthew event. And, you know, it's been 10 years since me and Ian even stood on a stage together. You know, and that was, that, no one talked for a long, long time. I mean, I, I had Ian over for dinner probably in June, because Jeff died last year, the original bass player. And that's, I saw, you know, I mean, it was, it was so ridiculous that at Jeff's memorial, like, Dave wouldn't come till I left. Like, that's how ridiculous it all is, right? I mean, me and so me and Ian started talking. That's crazy, dude. It is. Me and Ian started talking. And, uh, you know, and it was just like, we, you know, we went to high school together. And, you know, I don't know. It just was, we both just went, this is stupid. So when I found out I needed a drummer in July, it was the only phone call I made. I'm like, you want to come play drums, man? And he's like, yep. And we've been having a blast. Because all that old crap's gone. Because you understand it differently. I guess they do yeah, too, well, right? Because we're, yeah, because we're, you know, we're grown men. We're not 20, 25 years old, which is ironic in the society to say that, isn't it? Because <laughs> in most other societies, you're an old man when you're 25. Uh, but... So uh, just a little bit of uh, a little stab at Dave Gen there. But, uh -huh. uh, but uh, you know, sounds like. Uh... I like how he's like, well, because we're older and more mature after he's just like taking a shot at someone. 
I know. It's, it's hilarious. All right. It runs deep. Uh, Dave Genn, of course, would go on to uh, play in 5440, which, uh, honestly, for me, step down. Um, and uh, Rich Prisky would play uh, on uh, a handful of uh, the solo albums that Matt Good did touring. Uh, Ian Brown, of course, uh, uh, toured with him in 2011. And uh, yeah, for me, classic album. A definite recommendation to check it out if you are an alternative rock or just regular rock fan, really. Um, if you are an American listener, give it a listen. And please, folks, buy this album. Go you, like go on iTunes and buy it because it hasn't sold very much. So uh, these guys, you know, probably could uh, could use a little bit of uh, quiche. Am I right? <laughs> they could. I mean, you can also stream it on Spotify. They don't make well, nearly. Well, Matt, a... Matt Good recently got divorced in the last couple of years. His uh, from his second wife. And yeah, he could probably use some quiche too. Well, he's taking a tour and you're going to see him. I am. He's got my quiche already. So, so. there you go. Uh, uh, what do we got next week, big man? Uh, I just wanted to mention one of my all-time favorite albums. Yes. Love it. Uh, agree with you wholeheartedly. Go buy it. Go stream it legally. However you can get your hands on it. Definitely worth checking out. Next week, uh, we are going to go back to massively popular high-selling albums. Yes. As we cover the 1986 release by Bon Jovi, Slippery When Wet, the first tape I ever yes. owned. Oh, I can't wait. And uh, I've got some stories. Uh, oddly enough, you found more information for songs on this album than I did for Slippery When Wet. But of course, the big hits have so much to talk about. So that's what we'll yes, get into. I wanted to mention one thing because I can't go an, an, uh, an episode without mentioning it. One thing I forgot to talk about was because um, we were talking about B-sides yep. and... Uh, and the lack of B-sides. I want to say that uh, there is a Seafox uh, compilation out there with an acoustic version of Apparitions, uh, but that by, with with Matt Good and Dave Genn doing uh, acoustic version. But there's also a track on that album of Matt Good and Dave Genn and some other people all joining together to cover 1999 by Prince. <laughs> I got it in, baby! Woo! Woo! All right, folks. With that see being said, week. we'll see you in a week. <laughs>